Texas is known for its low regulations, low taxes and low costs, a strategy that has helped its economy become the ninth largest in the world. But that prosperity is in jeopardy. There's one glaring problem. The state is fast becoming just unaffordable to live in. In a series of articles, BizNow Texas reporters Olivia Lukemeyer and Maddie McCarty are exploring the Texas miracle and what might be threatening it. I'm Miriam Hall, and Maddie and Olivia are my guests on BizNow Reports today to talk over some of the findings of their three articles that take a close look at the housing crisis and what it might be doing to slow the state's winning streak. Olivia, Maddie, nice to talk to you. Thanks for having us. It's great to talk to you as well, Miriam. Thanks for inviting us. Maddie, maybe you could start by giving us a sense of just how bad the housing crisis is in Texas at the moment. The state's population has increased 50% since 2000. And census data shows that it could hit 55 million by 2050. Yet our housing production is really just stagnant. Prices for houses in Texas have risen more than 45% since the start of 2020. Back in 2019, before the pandemic, numbers were showing that the state needed half a million new homes. And since then, more than 880,000 people have moved into Texas. Those numbers are absolutely crazy. It sounds like something out of New York. Yeah, Texas is a really desirable place to be. And one of those things that was so desirable was our housing affordability, but that could be something that we're losing. There is a concern about that because in your reporting, you've heard stories, clear examples of companies that were going to come to Texas, but then they have a look at the numbers and they think maybe it doesn't work. So one of our sources told us he wasn't able to disclose the company's name because it was a client of his, but it was a um, about 75 employee company in San Francisco area, and they were considering maybe expanding, maybe relocating into Texas. They were really open to options. Um, they were even looking at subsidizing relocation costs for their employees. Um, And once they really got into the numbers, and I think that included property taxes and just looking at the big picture of living in Texas, they found that the gap in cost of living was really not as wide as they would have initially thought. So they decided not to come just because of that? Yeah, they they absolutely just said no Texas for us right now. If that's just like one example, imagine all the other examples, all the other companies that are making the same decision. Yeah, we heard more stories similar to that one, and we've heard that other states are really jumping at the chance to present themselves as good competitors to Texas because they're, you know, maybe a little more rural and affordable like Texas used to be a few decades ago. As part of your reporting, you spoke to Rick Perry. He's the former governor of Texas and he was the former secretary of energy under the Trump administration. During his time when he was leading the state, he managed to bring companies like Toyota to the state, and he's really kind of known as this like architect of this big miracle of Texas. Tell me, tell me a little bit about what he told you. So former Governor Rick Perry is widely credited as the architect of what people called the Texas miracle, and that was part of Texas just being so successful during the recession in 2008. They just did not suffer um, as much as the rest of the country and were able to still easily attract business. And that started kind of a winning streak that Texas has been on for a long time as far as corporate relocations. And like we saw that crescendoed in 2021, 
and has been kind of dropping. So that's what we wanted to speak to him about. When he left office in 2015, about 60% of homes were affordable to Texans living in the state's largest metros and earning the local median income. Today, that's fewer than one third of the homes in those large metros. So he told us his priorities that he had while he was in office that he believed really made the state a successful place for businesses to relocate to. We simply understood that if you don't overtax, you don't overregulate, you don't overlitigate, and you have skilled workforce, which basically translates into accountable public schools, those are the four things that will create a climate where entrepreneurs know that they can come risk their capital and they have a opportunity to have a good return on their investment. So when he was in office, Texas was affordable. What's it, what's it like now? Rents and housing prices have increased substantially in cost, especially in the city of Austin. It's the one of the fastest growing metros in the nation and becoming one of the most expensive. Perry saw that himself when some of his family members were house shopping in Austin. I, I know from some personal experience, my daughter and son-in-law two years ago moved from Las Vegas to Austin and they were shocked cost of housing in Austin, Texas. So does he think government should do anything about this? No. Um, He is a big believer in free market and that the market will self-correct. He does see, you know, a problem, but he thinks that it's something that will respond to demand. So when there is enough demand for affordable housing, um, that affordable housing will be created. So he doesn't think that government should step in at all? No. He said that's not the government's role. Government needs to do a few things do those few things really well, and then get the hell out of the way and let the private sector do what the private sector does best. If you become so popular that the market is able to raise the cost to where people can't afford it, it's sometimes in the future there will be a self-correction. Olivia, what else is keeping housing supply down and costs so high in Texas? So the issue is really two-pronged. What we hear from developers is that they face a series of regulatory barriers to building more housing. So essentially local land use policies that prevent additional homes from being built or just make it much harder to get a housing project across the finish line. Um, And then the other big issue in most Texas cities, or uh, it's even more acute in their suburbs, is NIMBYism, which is not in my backyard. It's basically a a group of uh, residents who oppose any new housing stock being added to their community. So zoning and people just not wanting anything built ever. Yes, strong resident opposition um, and elected officials often feel uh, that they need to stand behind their constituents by not approving new housing projects that they don't approve of. Is that a new thing in Texas? I mean, it's something that's definitely happening in places like New York, where I am. Is this something that's happened in the last few years, or has there always been this kind of pushback? I think that this tends to happen as a community grows. So 
you know, you don't see it as much anymore in really dense urban parts of the city um, because there isn't a ton of additional land to add new housing to. Uh, so it's not seen in the same way as it is when, for example, you're bringing a new housing development to an area that just a few years ago was rural and has very quickly developed and they're going through the growing pains of seeing new development happen and a lot of people um, push back on that pretty hard. The way that I read some of that being described in your reporting is, is, is gentle density. Yeah, so there are a lot of advocates out there who say that, you know, this problem doesn't have to be solved by throwing up an excess of super dense apartment towers all over the place. Um, we could be addressing this in smaller ways, um, like through duplexes or through uh, townhomes. Uh, we could be addressing this by adding accessory dwelling units on existing properties. There's ways that we can add density without adding hundreds or thousands of new units in a certain area. In your story, you did look at like one piece of land that kind of is emblematic of the whole challenge in Texas. Can you tell me a little bit about the attempts to build there? Sure, yeah, there is a housing development that has been sort of in the works for at least a couple of years now. It's in North Dallas in a suburb called Lake Highlands, which is a pretty affluent suburb and it's pretty built out. Um, it's got neighborhoods that have been there for, for decades and it has a lot of commercial development. And there's a plot of land there where a developer wants to build a, uh, it's called Cypress Creek at Forest Lane. And um, it would be an apartment complex that's mixed, mixed income or caters to mixed income residents. So a certain number of those units would be set aside for families making below 80% of area median income. Um, and neighbors have not been happy about that development. Uh, their complaints tend to focus on an increase in crime, an increase in traffic, school overcrowding. Uh, and those are very common complaints that you hear from resident groups that are in opposition to new development. But if you were describing the project, it sounds like exactly what people would say is needed. There's definitely a need for multifamily housing in this area. It is a lot of single family housing and not a ton of housing variety for people at many income levels. You've also been keeping close tabs on the Plano City Council meetings and they are um, illuminating some of the comments there. So Plano is a really good example of a suburb of Dallas that you know, it's been around for a long time. It's mostly built out and the few areas of land that are still available for development are hotly contested anytime they come about, uh, in front of Plano City Council. Anytime there is a recommendation for any sort of density, residents push back very hard because they are used to a version of Plano that was very suburban. And as it becomes more urban, there's a lot of pushback. Um, one project in particular was proposed for the largest undeveloped remaining tract in the city. Um, it was former farmland. And when you looked at this tract, it was just a giant field sitting amongst all of the trappings of commercial development. I mean, on every side, there was businesses, homes, everything. And there's just this big field. It really looked pretty out of place. Um, so a developer came forward and suggested uh, building a mixed-use development there, and part of that development would have included 
uh, homes, townhomes, apartments, senior living units, like a whole mix of housing. And as expected, there were hundreds of nearby residents in opposition, including one gentleman named David Kemp. I'm David Kemp, about a 40-year resident of Plano, off and on. And I want to make the point that a lot of people have made that we need to keep this as a single family dwelling suburban environment. I, we have seen all of these five story apartment blocks going up on corners all over the place with tens of thousands of people pouring out onto the same streets we have to drive on, uh, using the same water facilities, sewage facilities, school districts, uh, police and everything else. And so it's just a, a mass of people crowding into our city and changing the feel of our city from the nice suburban neighborhood that I moved into. He literally sounds like he could be anywhere anywhere in America testifying against any development. Does anyone testify for development at these sorts of meetings? Yeah, they don't. The people who support multifamily development don't te- don't tend to come out in the same numbers as what would be classified as a NIMBY uh, constituent. But there are some people who will show up and advocate for more diversity in housing stock and adding to housing supply. Uh, Dana Walters appeared at the Plano City Council meeting to advocate in favor of the development being built. Um, Her argument was essentially that we have all of these companies moving to Texas. We have all of these new residents, but we have a shortage of houses and maybe we should be providing more options to people. I suggest with all the in-migration and companies moving here and all the people coming here and the shortage of houses that um, maybe we should be providing more options, not less. Not everyone wants to or is ready to buy a home now, but maybe they should still be able to afford and deserve a nice place to live. She actually mentioned her own daughter being a good candidate for a development like this. And that is something that's really interesting is that even residents on the NIMBY side of the equation tend to have, they tend to speak about members of their own family who also need housing. They just don't normally want that type of housing in close proximity to their homes. So the Texas state legislature, its session just ended. There were uh, lots of bills proposed, very few ultimately passed when it came to housing. What's the reaction been like to that? Yeah, so I mean, advocates that were pushing for greater housing relief and housing reform this session, I don't think that they're very surprised at the minimal progress that was made. Um, I think that They consider any progress to be a win, and there were some important wins, but I would say in general, they see the needle having been moved in a very slight way. Um, There wasn't a ton of bills that were passed that focus on land use reform, which as I mentioned before, is a big factor in getting more housing on the ground. Um, But a couple of the big wins that housing advocates are really excited about, the creation of a state version of the federal low income housing credit program, which up until this point did not exist. We only had access to the federal version of that program in Texas. So that's a huge win for low income tenants. Um, The other major bill was a reform of an existing program. Uh, It's called public facility corporations and it's essentially a mechanism that allows for more affordable housing to be built in the form of a tax break for developers. There have been allegations and proof 
of rampant abuse of the existing program, which was approved in 2015. And there were a, there was a lot of movement in the legislature to just throw the program out. And obviously housing advocates pushed back in a big way on that because when it's used in the correct way, PFCs are a really important tool to getting affordable units into supply. So the bill that ultimately was passed is just going to put up more safeguards uh, and more guardrails to protect against abuse of the program, but they're not throwing it out altogether, which is a major, major win. Uh, some of the big losses revolved around legislation that would have prevented cities from, from enforcing local land use regulations that prevent density from being added, that prevent uh, accessory dwelling units from being built on an existing property. There were laws that would have overruled compatibility requirements at the local level that prevent apartment towers being built in a certain proximity to single family homes. None of those passed, but one, one bill did pass that's actually not good for uh, housing relief in Texas, and that was House Bill 2127. It's also known as the Death Star Bill, and it essentially overrules local control in a multitude of areas, um, including tenant rights. So policies that cities have on the books regarding eviction proceedings and the right for tenants to organize those existing regulations will now be overridden by what the state has deemed to be legal. And so while that bill doesn't affect land use, it does affect tenant rights and housing advocates are seeing the passage of 2127 as a major setback in uh, the quest for housing relief. Sounds like the uh, the session was as successful as New York's session when it comes to housing. It was an absolute disaster. They won't go that far to say that because, like I said, any any relief, any passage is, is good news, is a success to them. But um, I don't think any of them are that surprised. They weren't expecting this to be a landslide um, for housing relief or housing reform. So. so you have one more story coming out on this series. Um, what's it going to examine? So the final... Part of this series is going to examine whether housing affordability is a problem that needs to be tackled at the local level by cities and counties, or if the state needs to intervene and remove some of the hurdles that prevent more housing from being built. Is now Dallas reporter Olivia Lukemeyer, and before that, Maddie McCarty, BizNow's Houston reporter. Their series of articles exploring the Texas miracle are available at biznow.com and I've left links in the show notes. I'm Miriam Hall. Thanks for listening.